Well, I hate to say it, but it's that time of the year. Uh, Some of you are ecstatic. Some of you are a little melancholy. Most of our teachers have already been in in service probably this last week. Uh, Some of our kids go back to school this week. For some of them, they get a little reprieve and don't actually start uh, till next week. But it's right around the corner. Our college kids are preparing to uh, head back to, to school and, and doing all of that. And when I was a kid, even though I could care less about going to school, uh, that continued into my adult life. But uh, it was always an exciting time because back to school always meant getting new stuff. And I kind of always liked that. Now, when I was a little kid, you know, kindergarten, first grade or not, or what? It was, you remember the big chief tablets, politically incorrect now. I guess you can't find big chief tablets. I don't know. And to go along with the big chief tablets with the big fat pencils. I like those too, because I like the big erasers on the back of them. And then paste. Loved me some paste. (laughs) Made a great snack, didn't it? I don't even know if they have paste now, you know, you did the top and had the little spreader on it, you know, and all of that, you know, anyway, paste was really good. And then, you know, when I got a little older, a little bit older, it was all about the lunchbox. You know, what kind of lunchbox were you going to have this year? And my favorite that I ever had was the Scooby-Doo lunchbox. Got to have the Scooby-Doo lunchbox. Then when you start getting about junior high and high school, it's all about the clothes. It's all about the clothes. And you went shopping and yeah, I remember the bell bottoms with the rayon plastic shirt, which was awful when you started school in August when it was 110 degrees because it just sweated. And the big belt. And I thought they were PF flyers. But I went and looked online and what they showed as PF flyers were not what I was thinking they were. What I liked when I was a kid were those little $5 tennis shoes you bought at TG&Y. If you remember TG&Y, they were black with white stripes and they had absolutely no arch or material to them. I mean, they couldn't have cost 15 cents to make. But they kind of looked like track shoes. And I used to like those, you know, with my bell-bottom jeans. And that's what it was, you know, all about. And now there's a big push in a lot of places for school uniforms. You know, not necessarily a bad idea. You got the idea that, you know, everybody's wearing the same thing. So as far as economic distinction or whatever, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about dress code, you know, and all those, you know, is this too short or is that too revealing or, you know, whatever. You know, everybody, everybody kind of looks the same. And there is a sense in which, you know, uniforms in general can be kind of important. Now, I remember when I was in, you know, football and, you know, I was never in high school football, so Fridays didn't count. But junior high football on Tuesdays 
I always loved that day. Why? Because I got to wear my jersey to school that day. You know, we got to wear our football jersey all around school. That was kind of important. And you know, in athletics, for the most part, unless you're maybe playing a, a sport where you're not actually on the field at the same time or whatever, you know, you, you have the home uniform that in football is the colored uniform and the away jerseys that's white. Basketball is the opposite. The home jersey is white and the away jersey is colored. I don't understand that. But anyway, why? So you don't get confused. So you don't throw the ball to the wrong team. There's a distinction there. But uniforms also show a little bit more than distinction. You know, when I went to college, I didn't have to worry about what I was going to wear in the morning. Because I was in the Corps of Cadets. And every morning somebody would yell through this big loudspeaker what the uniform of the day was. It was pretty much the same thing all the time. Only it changed in the winter time, but you know. And so I didn't have to worry. Just go in, get the shirt, pants, all matched. It was the same. But you know, but uniforms also create a distinction. It sets sets you apart. When I was at A&M, it set me apart from the rest of the student body that wasn't in the Corps of Cadets. When I went to work for Texas Power and Light, and I was a meter reader. Well, not that big of a deal. It's not like, you know, that was some, you know, really special position or honor or whatever. It was a job. But I had to wear a uniform. Why? So that when I was crawling around in people's backyards, they'd know what I was doing there. If I was just in shorts or a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and I'm crawling around the backyard, well, I'm going to get shot. But if I got the uniform on with the TPNL logo and the TPNL hat, oh, it's the meter reader. Apparently the dogs did not understand that. Or actually they did understand that. Oh, meter reader. But it's kind of, it set us apart, set me apart. That's the same way it is with our Christian wardrobe. You know, we think about going back to school. We think about going to work tomorrow. We think about going out into the world. We have a uniform. We have a uniform. Now, I was doing this kind of on purpose, in case you thought I don't do anything on purpose. And I'd originally thought about coming out of Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul talked about the whole armor of God. Some of you may have even thought that's where I was going. Fooled you. Not going there. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to get to verse 12 to 14 here in a minute. But in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11... Paul talks to the Christians there and says, this is what you ought to take off. And in fact, he uses the term put to death, verse 5, rid yourselves, verse 7. And then in verse 9, he says, you have taken off your old self. So, you know, probably if you remember back that far, when you were in elementary school, You wore certain things. But then when it was the first day of junior high, you looked at those clothes you wore in the fifth grade and you're like, I ain't wearing that to school. 
Everybody will make fun of me. I'm in junior high now. I want to wear this. Outgrown those clothes. Want something new. Something that is more appropriate for junior high. Or maybe when we go from junior high to high school. Same type thing. And so Paul is saying that when we become a Christian. There are certain things that we take off. That we rid ourselves of. That we get rid of. And he lists all those evil desires and sinful things and and all that kind of stuff. But the key is it doesn't end there. Because if all we do is take off. Well, that's not good, is it? If we're getting ready to go to school or whatever, and all we do is take off our clothes and then go to school. That's probably, we're probably going to end up in ISS or worse or something. Because you don't go to school naked. We understand that. That's probably part of the dress code. Although it's probably not actually in there. So maybe you ought to try it. Just try it. Don't tell him your preacher said try it. But it's not enough just to take off. You remember that parable that Jesus told about about the man who had this demon in his house? And I, I think Jesus used the house to represent his mind and everything. And he, and he kicked the demon out. And then he cleaned up the house. But then before you know it, ten more demons rushed back in. Whoa. You see, it's not enough to take off. It's not enough to clean out. You need to put on. You need to fill that room with the good stuff. That's why he says in Philippians chapter 4, whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is trustworthy, whatever is all these things. Think on these things. It's not enough to say, I'm not going to think about the bad things. We need to purposely be thinking about the good things. And so he says here, after saying, take off, take off, take off. Now he's going to say, put on, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so, this is the only slide we have. We're not going to be, so we're going to pretty much stick to our scripture here this morning. And the first thing I wanted us to look at is the therefore. Okay, he starts off, therefore. And normally, and we've talked about this several times, normally when you see the word therefore, you go back and it refers back to what he'd been talking about. And that may be a little true in this case, but I think this therefore is a little different. The therefore here does not necessarily go back to what he'd been talking about in the previous verses, but it actually is talking about what is in the middle of this sentence. You see, this sentence is made up of a a clause or a phrase or whatever. And if you take out the middle part, 
Notice that it says, therefore, take out the middle part, clothe yourselves. Right? I'm no English major, you know that, but that, you know. Therefore, clothe yourselves. If we were diagramming this sentence, you know, there'd be, well, forget that. No, we're not doing that. No, not going to do that. But you get the point. And the reason for the therefore is the stuff that's in the middle of that. Therefore, because you are God's chosen people, because you are holy, because you are dearly loved, therefore, clothe yourselves with all these different things. You are God's chosen person. How does that make you feel this morning? Have you ever been chosen for something that was really important? I'm not talking about that letter that comes in the mail that says occupant. That doesn't make you feel very special, does it? It doesn't make you feel very special when they fool you and they trick you and they use the 903-645 prefix and you answer it on your phone and it says, have we got a deal for you? That doesn't make you feel very special. But have you ever been chosen for something really special? In a moment of insanity, my wife chose me. That's pretty special. In another moment of insanity, this congregation chose me 32 years ago to come and work here. That's pretty special. Now, kids and adults and wherever you are, when you go back to school or you go back to work or or whatever, you may feel like nobody cares about you. You may feel like you don't fit in. You may feel like, you know, my life is, nobody likes me. What's that old song? Nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I'm going to go eat worms or something like that. You know, you may feel like that. But you need to remember, God has chosen you. You are God's chosen person. If you think it's cool to be picked first for the softball game or the kickball game or whatever, if you think that, if you think it's great, my, my, my littlest or not littlest next to littlest, you know, who's, who's the class leader that day? Ooh, I got to be class leader that day. When, when it's Peyton's day to be class leader, that's all she talks about when she comes home. I was the class leader today. I got to do Whoo, I was chosen. If you think that's cool. If you think it's great to be chosen for the first string or the cheerleading squad or whatever the case may be. You've been chosen for something much greater than that. God has chosen you. God has chosen you through Jesus Christ. God has chosen you through your faith in Jesus Christ. Chosen by God. 
And then he says, not only are you chosen, but you are holy. Holy. Now, a lot of us in here, we're thinking, ooh, not so much, (laughs) you know. I don't feel holy. I don't really, I'm not, you know. And you know, that word holy is the same root word from which we get the word saint. And we think, ooh, saint. No, 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 no. Those people are saints. I'm, I'm, I'm not a saint. Yeah. God has called you and chosen you to be holy, to be a saint. And that word simply means, as we've learned many times before, means to be called out, set aside for a specific purpose. It reminds me, or it is not going to remind me, it's actually the word that's used, and we've mentioned this before as well. You remember when the children of Israel are, are going into Canaan land and they come upon Jericho, the very first city that they're going to conquer. And God tells them, when you conquer Jericho, you don't get the stuff. The stuff in Jericho belongs to me. It is dedicated to me. It is holy. Now, after Jericho, when we go to some of the other places or whatever, y'all get to divide all those spoils. But the spoils of Jericho are mine. When it talks about the furniture and the instruments, the tools, the things that were used in the, uh, in the temple and in the tabernacle, they were called the dedicated things. That dedicated things, that's the same word as holy. The holy things. God has not just chosen us out of the world, but he has chosen us for specific tasks. We are dedicated to his purpose. We are dedicated to his service. The apostle Paul, I think, was most overcome with emotion. Not that God had saved him. Although he was pretty impressed by that. But that after being saved, God used him. What? Me? A sinner? Me who persecuted the church? Me who did all these horrible things? And not only did you save me, but now you're using me? To be a messenger? That blew his mind. God has not just chosen you. Or called us out of the world. But he has dedicated you to his purpose. Philippians tells us that we were uh, created in Christ to do good works. We are God's workmanship to do good works. We are holy. We are God's instrument. You people who work on stuff. And you have tools. You have special tools, don't you? You know, you've got that wrench that is broken just right. You've got that screwdriver. You've got that that saw. Those of you that cook, you've got specific pans for specific purposes. 
I guess. What do I know? I got the ones that go in the microwave. It's the important ones. For specific, God, we are God's instruments. We are God's tools to do his will in the world around us. And thirdly, he says, not only are we God's chosen people, not only are we holy, but we are dearly loved. Dearly loved by whom? Well, we know because we've read the Bible and we're smart people. We know that we ought to love each other, right? We ought to be dearly loved by each other. That's not what he's talking about here. I don't think. He's talking about dearly loved by God. Remember in 1 John, we've looked at this before. It says, this is love. Not that we loved him. But that he loved us. I think a lot of times we think that that the love starts with our loving God. John says, "Uh -uh. uh-uh. Uh-uh, that's not where it starts. It ends up there, but that's not where it starts. It starts with understanding that God loves us. Young people, old people. When the world is beating you down, when the world is telling you that it has no use for you, when the world is telling you that you're a failure based on their standards, remember that God loves you. God sent his son, his one and only son to die on the cross for you. We've done this exercise before, but in John chapter 3, verse 16, that verse we know and we love by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Forget the world. Just put in your name. For God so loved me. And I'm convinced that what I see in the Bible tells me that if there was just one sinner, God would have sent his son to die for that one sinner. But he sent his son to die for all of us. God loves you. If the world, if it seems like everybody hates you, if it seems like the world is against you, God loves you. And then he goes on to say, because therefore we are chosen by God, because we are holy, because we are loved by God, then this is what our spiritual wardrobe looks like. This is what our uniform looks like. When you join the military and you swear that oath, then you are, you put on that uniform. People know that you're in the service. People know that you're a part of the armed forces. Don't those Marines in their dress blues, don't they look good? You know, Navy men in their Navy whites, you know, Army's just ugly. I can say that because, you know, I come from that background, but you know, it's just that, but you know, those dress uniforms, aren't they great? 
God's not calling us to wear dress uniforms. God's calling us to wear uniforms to go out into the field. And to be his soldiers. He says, first of all, put on, clothe yourselves with compassion. And follow that with kindness. If you read the bulletin, front of the bulletin this week, you know. Last week. With the shootings in in El Paso and in Dayton, Ohio and. And every time something like that comes up, there's all all this different rhetoric about what needs to be done and what, you know, and all these type things. And and whatever the world can come up with is inadequate. Whatever the world can come up with is simply a band-aid. What the world needs is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what's going to bring peace to the world. But what will make our world listen? What will make our world open and receptive to the gospel? It's how we as Christians live our lives. And he says, put on, clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourselves with kindness. We live in a world that is compassionless and is unkind. It's just a wicked, hate-filled world that we live in. And it is our responsibility and our privilege to show to the world a different way. To show by our compassion and our kindness that it doesn't have to be this way. That God has called us. God has chosen us. God has made us holy. God has loved us to be different. And to change the world in which we live. He says, clothe yourselves with humility. Not being full of ourselves and thinking of others first. Clothe yourselves with gentleness. And extension I believe of kindness, keeping our emotions under control. Clothe ourselves with patience. We need and must be patient with one another. Patience is one of those things that is hard. I I so want you to be patient with me. And yet so many times I'm impatient with you. If we could just be patient with one another. And then he says, be forgiving. Forgive one another. And then he puts this condition on it. Forgive one another as Christ forgave you. As God has forgiven you. Well, I think we understand God's forgiveness enough to know that that pretty well covers everything, doesn't it? It pretty well covers everything. In the Sermon, in the sermon on the Mount, when Jesus gives that model prayer. 
And he talks about, you know, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Earth that gives us day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us. Uh, deliver us from evil, lead us not into temptation, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Whoo, there's a whole bunch in there, isn't there? There's a lot of stuff in that model prayer. And Jesus goes back to explain. Part of that prayer. He doesn't go back to explain. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. He doesn't go back to explain. Give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't go back to explain. uh, Deliver us from evil. And lead us not in temptation. He does not go back to explain. For thine is the kingdom. The power and the glory forever. The only part of that whole prayer. That he goes back to explain. And reinforce is. For if you do not forgive those who sin against you, God will not forgive you. Wow. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty serious. Whether it's in our physical family, whether it's in our spiritual family, Or whether it's just out in the world in general. We have to be willing to forgive each other. I taught a lesson at camp on Joseph. And was talking about forgiveness. And I asked the question. To start the class. Is it easier to forgive those. Who are closest to you. Are those who you don't have hardly any relationship with. Which is easier to forgive? And those who answered quickly got it wrong. Those who answered quickly was, oh, well, it's easier to forgive those that are closest to you. Really? Really? Has that been the case in your life, really? Isn't it a lot easier to forgive total strangers? People we don't even know. You know, somebody I don't know, I've never met before in my life. I'm walking out there, you know, at the end of services like I normally do. And they bump into me and make me drop my Bible. What am I going to say? Oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. No big deal. But when it's somebody close to us and they hurt us deeply, ooh, that's tough. Ooh, that's tough. And my point in the class on Joseph, his brothers tried to kill him and sold him into slavery. His master, whom he had been loyal to, Had him thrown into jail for something he didn't do. His friend in jail, whom he foretold about his release, forgot him for two years. And you never see one resentful bone in Joseph's body. He forgave them all. When we put on, when we clothe ourselves... 
with our spiritual wardrobe, we've got to learn to forgive. And then he says, over all these things, put on love. Because it ties them all together. Love is the reason that we're kind and compassionate and humble and all these other things. Not just our love for God, but our love for each other and our love for our fellow man. If you're here this morning and your spiritual uniform isn't showing. You know, God has not called us to be spies. He's not called us to be incognito. He's not called us to be camouflaged in the world around us. He's called us to stick out and be different. If there's some way we can help or encourage you this morning, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.